Okay, so today is going to be a little different. Um, I apologize, but I will be uh, reading a fair amount of my message today because I had to just put it down. Because if it if if I just went as I usually do, uh, little notes, um, it it wouldn't a get done today, and and b it wouldn't be targeting the main issues that I want to target today. I'm just a, a country preacher. I'm just one preacher, and I love how many ministers there are in our country that preach the word of God faithfully. Um, Matter of fact, I was so moved, my wife and I, this week at uh, Dr. Billy Graham's uh, service. I didn't have a chance to watch the whole thing, but his son, how he brought forth the word of Jesus Christ and repentance and salvation and everything. I was so, I mean, millions and millions and millions of people heard the gospel in a few minutes. And uh, you say, well, I don't like him. I don't like Billy Graham. Well, then, don't. Uh, so the the greatest message I ever heard on hell was that from that man. It was, I, I wept as I heard him, and same about heaven. Uh, think what you will, and that's fine. Um, but nonetheless, there are millions of people that are hearing the gospel in America around this wonderful land today even, as many preachers are preaching. And if there is one message that I might highlight this year that I would want to go into the churches and to our nation, uh, today's message is it. This is it. You say you're, you're really building this message up. It's nothing you've not heard before. It's just the message that needs heard, if you're following me. And it's not because Carl's saying it. It's being said by pastors all across this country. But it's really hard for us to understand idolatry. And yet idolatry is all through the Bible. Israel failed. Solomon went into it. His heart was taken from his God because he allowed the, the, the idols that, that the, his wives were bringing into his awareness and understanding. Great men fell. And if a Solomon could have his heart taken away from his God, who do we think we are? Who do we think we are that we could not have an idol in our life? And now we get into this question of what does idolatry look like in America? So we entitled this, This is American Idol, because this is what we see. We idolize. Uh, we put people on pedestals we, as though we worship people. We want to emulate them. We want to follow them. We want to know what they had for lunch today. You think I'm kidding? I mean, the star, the inquirer, what did they do? What are they doing? We're just putting these people on some kind of a pedestal like they're something. We are all equal in God's sight. We're all a bunch of sinners. We're all made the same way out of a bunch of dirt. And from it we were created, and everybody, no matter how rich or poor, we're all going to the same place, back to dirt. You say, well, I'm not going to be cremated. Sorry, even inside there, your body's going to deteriorate. It doesn't get better after you die. We're all the same. It doesn't matter. Equal. And yet, for some reason, we take things and we place them up. There's a spirit that First John talks about. And, and this is all free, that, that God talks about over and over again. Now, follow me, please. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. He uses that phrase in 1 John. There's something that the Antichrist is trying to do through, of course, Satan and his power. And it's been since Genesis 3. And it's going to happen right through to uh, the tribulation time period and even at the end of the millennial reign. Satan's ultimate agenda is worked through an individual, the Antichrist, to promote a doctrine. This is the most important doctrine that, the, that Satan has for the entire world. In 1 John 2.22, anyone that denies the Father and the Son. So Satan wants man to deny 
the Father and the Son. On the reverse, he says, but anyone that confesses the Father and the Son are blessed. We are the children of God. So God wants in the system that we have, the religious, uh, the school system, the everything, to just get God out of the picture. Don't look at God the Father and God the Son. In, third, in chapter 3, verse 10, he says that the children of Satan, isn't that interesting? God says there's kids that belong to Satan. This is just truth. And he says those who are following act like Cain. What did Cain do? He was a murderer. He killed his own brother. So when we see murder happening rampantly around our nation in schools, people mowing them over with vehicles, who's behind that? The murderer, Satan, who wants to have man kill, just like Cain. And he talks about those who would do good. They are the children or the sons of God. But those would do this kind of evil. They're literally the children of Satan. Boy, that's politically popular. In chapter 4 of the same book, he talks about the spirit of Antichrist. And what he uses is his followers, his false teachers, and what they are going to promote and do promote is to deny that Jesus Christ has come into flesh. You say, well, a lot of people, you know, the, the, uh, uh, you look at most of the religions of the day. Well, they'll look at Jesus. Yeah, he came and he was a great prophet. He was a great teacher. Even the Muslim community will exalt uh, Jesus as a wonderful teacher. Um, no problem. No, no, no. no. That, that's not what First John is saying. He's not saying that, yeah, Jesus came to this earth. The question is, who is Jesus who came to this earth? The thing is, he is God come in the flesh. Every cult, every cult will deny that Jesus is God. Everyone. They will have him as a God, an angel, glorified being, but they will say that he had a beginning, that he was created. And yet we see in Colossians and Hebrews, etc., all these places where God says that Jesus Christ is the creator, not created. Total different. And so it comes down to the question, which Jesus are you talking about? Sadly, in this day and age in American culture, we have to give definition. Who are you actually talking about when you say Jesus? Because when those who deny that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, that He is the Son of God, making Him God come to flesh, equal with God, that puts Jesus Christ on a, a, a throne that no one else then belongs. And this spirit of Antichrist, he says, is already working in this world. Now that's when First John was written. And it's progressively getting worse and worse and will heighten because he talks about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And there is an error that is in this world about who Jesus Christ is, who God is, and who is to be worshipped. Can you imagine during the tribulation time period when you and I, the church, are snatched away, we're raptured, and all that you have is lost people? And the Antichrist is going to be then empowered at that time period. It says, then shall the Son of Man, be, uh, Son of Perdition be revealed. After we're gone, we're not going to understand anything in the trip. No matter how much we study in Tuesday, we read books, we hear all these great theologians trying to figure it out. Sorry, if you're not living at that time period, you're not going to understand who the Antichrist is and the power that he is going to have over the world. Like a Nebuchadnezzar, you fall down and worship me or you're dead. That's a power that really is really hard for us to understand. And for him to be able to do these signs and the wonders, whether he mimics or actually dies and resurrects, he's going to mimic the Messiah. This is incredible power. And he is going to be then going in and desecrating the temple. And he's going to say, I am God, fall down and worship me. Or you have nothing to do with this world. You can't buy. You can't sell. You fall down and worship me or you're out. A condemnation is going to go to them if they don't believe. 
in this spirit of Antichrist, uh, also we're going to talk about at some point over the next year or two, we're going to be talking about the last days. We need to understand the, what does God describe for the church, what our last days are before rapture actually takes place. He talks about the doctrines or wrong teachings of Satan that are going to permeate this world. So this is, again, throughout the scriptures. So we need to, we need to digest some stuff today. And we're going to go to Colossians and chapter number 3 is our text that we're going to read. And if there is something that I would say would highlight America and uh, what we have wrong with us, it is, it is coveting, which is idolatry. So we're going to talk about that. Colossians chapter 3, once you found that, please stand out of respect of God's holy, precious word. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Pause. Look at me. Where is our focus to be while we're here on this earth? On Christ. He's in heaven. He's our high priest. He's our interceder. Our focus is on Him. Set your affections on, say it with me. Things above, not on things where? On the earth, here in the now. For you are dead. And the thought is you're already dead. I'm looking, sorry, but I'm not trying to be morbid in any way, but we're all a bunch of dead people. Why? Because as Christ died and once we believed in him, we died with him. That as Christ rose from the dead, we also are living eternally, internally. We have eternal life. That we will never die, and yet the body is already dead, is already dying. You're dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Is that not the most powerful thing? Who you really are, the internal part of you, is already tucked away in God, beautifully encapsulated with Jesus Christ. And we're there, secure as can be. That's why he said in John 10, you are in Jesus' hand. You are in the Father's hand. And Ephesians 1 says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're hid. Satan can't touch you. Man can't touch you. You are eternally going to heaven. And you're hidden by God, protected by him. Now, the rapture, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. By the way, that's where he is now. In glory. So he's going to take you and I to be with him. He didn't say he's coming back to the earth. Okay? We're going to go up to be with him one day. So therefore, verse 5, mortify. The word mortify means kill. It's like take up your cross. Die to something. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. That is anything uh, done intimately outside of the realms of marriage. Husband and wife. Man, woman. Woman and man. Okay. The things that are unclean, the things that are unholy, inordinate affections, the effemininity that goes along with that, evil concupiscence, it's the, the uh, in, internal impurities. And here it is, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So of all of these, he zeroes out coveting, and he says that is idolatry. Now notice verse 6. For which things, in other words, these things that are done by the lost, sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Fathers, we look at your word. Help us. Help us to learn good things. Help me to teach that, that these good people are going to understand. And, Lord, I know I'm going to be reiterating things that they have not only heard, but they themselves have taught. But there may be some that this is new. This is... There's some new concepts, and they're not seeing it in this world. And God, I pray that you will open up our eyes to see incredible things from your law today. Illuminate through your Holy Spirit my life, all of our lives, as we hear this this day. And we'll thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. And you may be seated. There's a lot of ways that men have tried to define uh, idolatry. 
and we gave you some of those last week. I'm going to give you another uh, way of saying the same thing. Uh, defined is it, it is a falsehood uh, with that which stands in parallelism. In other words, you have as they're looking at this is my God. So now I'm creating this idol, this image that reflects who that one is. So I go through this to ultimately as a mediator to go uh, to talk to my God who who was out there. And yet it is empty or it is vain. Um, I love the psalmist. He says, you know, these idols, they have eyeballs and yet they don't see. They've got ears on the side of their head, but they can't hear a thing you're saying. They might even have feet. They're not walking anywhere. Why? Because they're inanimate. It's a, it's a rock. And yet people will worship. To, I was at this, uh, at this one church. And, uh, and uh, so I was, as I was, I was going through this, they had all these statues of dead people. And uh, I went to the one guy. I said, so you all basically pray to this statue made of concrete. And uh, you, you pray through this to, to, to talk to people in heaven. And he goes, oh, no, 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 we don't. I said, well, let me ask you a question then. Why is there a kneeling bench right in front of it then? They were speechless. Because people do go over, literally, in front of this statue of Joseph or Mary or whoever it was, and they kneel down and they're thinking this piece of concrete is some kind of a connection between them and God. Or beads or some other physical thing that people have to have to say, well, this is just reminding me. We don't, we don't need things to pray. We need God inside of us. The Holy Spirit of God inside of us. I talked to one man. He said, I know you disagree with me, but I talked to Mary and I talked to Joseph. And I talked to Peter and I talked to Paul. I talked to everybody up in heaven. And he goes, I know you disagree with me. And I said, why do you do that? He goes, I'm just trying to get somebody's attention up there. I need, this, I need all the help I can get. And I'm looking at this guy, and when I told him, he wouldn't talk to me for like two years. And I'm not kidding you, he was mad as a hornet. I said, well, the Bible actually says... That there is only one God and one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. You can't pray to dead people. Matter of fact, the law prohibited it. You're not to talk to dead people in heaven. They're not God and they are not in the place of God. They didn't become saints because some man said, well, now you're a saint. You are already saints. You're holy. That's all that it means. You're set apart for the purpose of God. You don't have to be sainthooded by some person. Oh, what's wrong with religion? It's man-made. Man-made. And yet we idolize the traditions that we have and idolize man. What Mary was to be honored, and she absolutely is, from every generation, being the one that brought Jesus Christ into this world. She is blessed God's grace was upon her. But she needed Jesus to save her too. Spiritually needed salvation as everyone else. She's not a Savior. One of many that can save and hear prayers. That is God's department. That is idolizing. That is making an idol. And that is wrong. That is sinful. Counterfeit dollar. The dollar looks just like any other dollar. And yet... It is not authentic. It's not real. That's what, that's what Satan is. He's a counterfeiter. Only God is the real. Any other person, inanimate object, or part of creation held as something equal with God is an idol. Idols capture our affections, guide our directions in life. An idol controls us. In America, Hollywood has lifted up so many people to be seen as superhuman or the perfect human that others just want to be. Athletes have put their bling on 
and want everybody to just see them and want to literally worship them and only would think that they could ever achieve those abilities. We've got the musicians, the rock stars that put all the bling on and show what they're all about with so many times. The immorality, the hatefulness of authority, all that happens. And we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks also. They do the same thing. The commercials that we see. We'll get into that in a second. The phrase we use in America, well, the world just idolizes them. What did you just say? They have become an idol, someone that is lifted up higher. Commercials promote items that only appeal to our ego and the image of man. And by the way, we're going to talk about this a couple of times this year. Don't tell me what kids and adults are listening to and seeing has no effect on their mind. Don't you give me that lie. Uh-uh. If these commercials aren't influencing America, why during the Super Bowl would they spend millions of dollars for every 30 seconds? Millions. For a little, just get this thought out so that they buy. But that doesn't really affect people, though, right? Yet we see the commercials of death and games that bring destruction, and we're putting it into the kids' hands, and we wonder, gee, I wonder why they're killing one another. It's not our fault. Habakkuk says it this way in chapter 2. Don't need you to turn there. I need to start reading. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies. That the maker of his work trusteth therein. And that's the key with idolatry. There is a trust in it to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake! To the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, making it look really, really pretty. There's no breath at all in the midst of it. Listen to verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's as though God is saying, hush. Satan, hush, hush, Hollywood, hush, commercials, hush, news media, hush, musicians, all that would elevate themselves above or equal with God, hush, because God is in his holy temple. You're not. Be silent. Before him, because there are no one, there is no one that's going to have an answer as they stand before God when they did nothing but idolatry on this earth. God says over and over again in the scriptures, not just in Exodus 20, I will have no other gods before me. That a man would think that he has created or Anything that God himself has created is greater than God himself. And again, as Romans tells us, man has the, the, this intent to worship the creation rather than the creator. And you and I are nothing but God's creation. All that we see is nothing but God's creation. How can we worship that which he has made when we start thinking about affections and and who God is and what we have on this earth. Satan in his ultimate job is to attempt to take away or to steal that which belongs to God, which is his glory. There is something that Satan is attempting to do 
And there is something that God is trying to do. And it is the spiritual battle of the kingdoms that has been started as soon as Satan rebelled against God. And he said, I'm going to be just like you. I'm going to be like the most high God. So Satan is trying to deceive, bring this falsehood, these lies to destroy and to kill. God, on the other side, is to give truth and love and forgiveness and eternal life. In this text of Colossians, God tells us that all those who trust in them will find the wrath of God. Judgment will come to them if they don't repent. When man repents, they are liberated from the prison of idolatry. If they don't repent, the very thing that they trusted in will be their condemnation. You trust in the idols, you trust in yourself, you trust in creation, you trust in evolution, excuse me, you trust in education, all these other things that man is trusting in, that everything in the Bible is wrong and God's wrong and we're right. You're trusting in that, that thing that you're trusting in will bring the condemnation. As he said to the Pharisees, your very words condemn you. What you're saying is going to come back on your head. And as smart as they come across, words that I have never heard of that they use fluently will not generate a bit of eternal life. But Jesus Christ, who is the way, truth, and the life, a simple little servant of God, is able to give eternal life. And a bunch of men who were uneducated, fishermen, God says, I'm going to raise you up to change the world. That's the way God does it. Idolatry is some of us who were involved with heavily understand the prison that idolatry brings us into. And to come out from that, the, the lust, the, the desires, the ambitions, it is so hard to be released from those things. It's as though we're entrapped. And once I trusted Jesus as my Savior, folks, when I say it rocked my life, I was never the same from that day forward. Wasn't the same. If you talked to me a month before I got saved and a month after I got saved, you would not have recognized me. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Or are they? They're to be. They're done. The idolatry I was into, the things and my ambitions and who I prayed to, all those things, done. Didn't pray that way one more time. Didn't have to cut myself one more time. Didn't have to do any of those barbaric things that I was involved to, in, to, to try to get a hold of my God, to get powers to become a God like Satan told Eve. Didn't have to do it anymore. Now all I got to do is if I do something wrong, I say, God... Jesus died for that. Forgive me. You want to talk about liberty under idolatry. You never know. You can only hope that you're going to get or you're hoping that they're going to have their face shine down on you. You don't know if you've done enough. And it's a competition. It's the more you sacrifice. You're trying to get a hold of you. That's what God was trying to show with Elijah's life and the prophets of Baal. He's like, okay, let's 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 call on our gods and see which one brings fire down. And he said, y'all go first. You know, prove it. So they're on top. They're screaming and praying. He's like, ah, maybe your God's sleeping. Uh, maybe, you know, is he having a cup of coffee? Did he have a bad breakfast? What's going on? Why isn't he answering you right now? So what did they do? They start cutting their flesh, sprinkling their blood all over the altar, trying to say, Baal, please answer us to prove that our God is bigger than your God. And it's like 18 words that Elijah says in the Hebrew language. And fire comes down and consumes the wood, consumes the water, consumes everything, burned up and died. You can't compare our power of our God with anything Satan could ever muster up. God is amazing. That's why he's like, I got this fat little guy here and I'm going to pray to him. You're going to compare that to the God that said, let there be light. And you think there's some kind of a comparison here. Mm. Satan has you. And that one that you have been believing in 
will bring the condemnation as a result. Satan's ultimate goal is to steal that which belongs to God. That's why he said, as we talked about last week, Jesus, would you just fall down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms. He's always promising things, promising authority, promising as he did with Eve. You're going to become as God. Just just eat this and all will be better because God is bad God and he's trying to restrict you and he makes bad things happen. And he he doesn't want you to live a happy, good life. And and so Satan says, I'll give you happiness. I'll give you joy. And yet that joy is only for him. And will bring catastrophe to your life. So God. God alone. Is to be worshipped. Worship belongs to God. Not an idol. Not things. Not man. Not anything else. Salvation. Is from Christ alone. God says I will have no other gods before me. No idol can save And no other man can forgive sins. That's why when they looked at Jesus, when he healed the man, and he says, thy sins are forgiven. Boy, did they get mad at Jesus. You don't have any right to forgive sin. Who do you think you are? Oh, only God, your creator. And so that man on earth would understand that Jesus Christ indeed has the authority and also the power to forgive sins. Okay, we won't offend anybody here. Why don't you just get your bed uh, and bed, and why don't you walk away? Let's let's put it in a little simpler, non-offensive terms. But the same thing was true. It was a sinful nature that this man had. That Jesus literally went against the sinful nature and cleansed him from that, so that he could walk. Power of Christ. There is no other to be saved through. Those that man trusts in, including himself, or the mainline gods that have come into existence, are nothing much, nothing more than a falsehood and attempts to take away the glory from God. The God of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the God of the Mormons, the God of the Seventh-day Adventists and any other cult, The God, sadly, in this day and age of many of the denominations, including Baptists, the Muslim, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the Spiritism, Humanism, the Pluralism, and the list goes on of all of the ways that man is attempting to say we've created a new form of of worship and this is what we are going to align ourselves up. And what you're going to see in every cult, every cult are the following. They're going to always be off on the Trinity. Every time they're going to be off some way, whether it's the Son or it's the Holy Spirit. Secondly, they're always going to have extra biblical writings that they are adhering to as doctrine. Thirdly, they're always going to be off on salvation. It is always going to be what you do for God. It's your works, it's your sacrifices that brings the blessings from God. By the way, for by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, not our works. We don't get to boast about it. They say, this is what I've earned. So they're always off on heaven and hell. They're always off. You know, like the JW, you can't get there from here. It's only for the 144,000. They're always off. They're wacko. There's no scriptural evidence. They're wrong. It's a falsehood. The Mormons, we call them the God makers. As God is, we will become someday. As we are, God once was. That we evolve and do more and works. We become a God. And then we, the men say, yeah, and I get lots of wives too. Religions of this world are so chaotic. If we just look what the Bible says, it liberates us from all of these traditions that men have come up with. Oh, you got the Baptists, wacko Baptists out west, you know, they're protesting those who serve in the military. They have no alignment with us. They'll protest those who have served our country and have died, you know, and, and they, and they, you know, then you got some of these wackos, you know, the snake handlers and everything else that are out there. <sighs> Just look at what the Bible says. 
I will have more than one verse for everything that we hold to as doctrine of what we believe and why we believe it. Worship belongs to God, and, and he says, I will have no other gods before me. So as soon as a man says, I work for heaven, they just put their self in God's place. That's idolatry. Anytime a man says, I'm going to heaven because I did this, I did that. I've had one guy say, don't worry about it, preacher. i got it covered. I'm going to heaven. I said, really? How? He goes, I bought a church for the people. The, the church a piano. So I'm going to heaven. It was made grand too. Really nice, really nice one, man. And man thinks they can buy their way into heaven. Oh, if you just burn enough candles for someone so, you know, you can get them into heaven. That's works. That's idolatry. You can't earn your way to heaven. America, you can't earn your way there. That's what I would tell them. Stop trying. You've been my my preacher, my preacher, somebody told me this is what I got to do to get to heaven. Did you, did you get, get any Bible verses to go along with it? No, this is just what's in these catechisms, these things that we say, and this is what we believe because this has come down through traditions for all these hundreds of years. But does the Bible say that? I was talking to a guy seated over here. He said, I was always told I work my way into heaven. I have to work. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. That, that was a cute little thing he did. But me, look at the way I dress. I am separated from the world. I don't own certain things. I don't own vehicles. And I don't own these certain things. So therefore, I'm holy. I'm getting in because of my works. So your works died on the cross. No. Is your works more powerful than the cross? I say no. Having made peace with the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things, not some things, all things unto himself. Works didn't die on the cross, folks. We put anything else out there. So I said, oh, by the way, do you know what Titus says? He says, no. I said, Titus says, not by works of righteousness that we have done. But according to his mercy, he saves us. Clearly, the doctrine is salvation. Soteriology going on here. It's not by our own works. It is by the regeneration that happens by the Spirit of God when we say, God, I can't, but you can. And we just yielded to him. The heart is where idolatry begins. Faith, love, trust, desires, ambitions are all found in idolatry, just like Christianity. It's a religion. It's, we think of God. and We have faith. And we, we talk about love. And we want to help people out. I'm a good person. I help people out. I was in the Boy Scouts and I helped this little grandma across the street for five years. Don't tell me I'm not going to heaven. I'm a good person. And I have faith. I have faith and faith. I've heard people say that one. I have no idea what that means. I trust. You know, I have a dependency. I have ambitions. I have drives. So we do in Christianity and so in idolatry. The, the message that we see in Colossians that coveting, which is idolatry, is seen because idolatry begins inside of the heart of mankind. Mankind makes or places what they are trusting in. They make it or they position it there. And this is what I am trusting in. It is what they love. It's their affections, their, their future desires, their future hope is all resting in this which I am trusting in. So evolution decides that this is our God. This is what we put our faith and trust and love in and all of our desires about this. And our pur- purpose is to prove that there never was a God. False science in their attempt to prove there is no God now. Education tries to reason God away that it doesn't make any sense. And yet by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And the things which are seen are not made by things which do appear. 
that we understand that here we are in these last days that God has spoken to us by his son, by whom he hath made all things. And Colossians incorporates also by whom we have our very existence now. He is holding it all together to idolatry and coveting. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, this is what God says to us as a church and to America. And it is reiterated in the New Testament. Thou shalt not covet. And that's what we know. But God gives definition to it. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Nor his manservant. Nor his maidservant. Nor his oxen. Nor his donkey. Nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Are you starting to see this? As God's defining what uh, coveting really is. Um, my wife and I have been married for 38 years. I think I got it right. And she is my wife. And I have loved her for these years. And not been a perfect husband in any way or fashion. But we have four incredible kids and 15 incredible grandkids. Got even a couple that are already in heaven. And uh, this is my wife, not yours. She belongs to me. Oh, she gets so upset. She goes, what is wrong with people? You know, you're just simply, you know, on Facebook. or You're just doing something. And then you have some idiot from some other state saying, hey, do you want to meet up? The media is so wacky and it is so in love with with the flesh and, and sexuality. She said, do they not see you and I in our picture with our kids and grandkids? Can they not see this? I'm a happy woman. I, th- I think. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and she gets mad at this because she's like, who are these perverts? I sure hope none of you men do that. Because I've had some men that have talked to me and said, yeah, I'm a predator. I get on Facebook and I go in and go after these and find somebody over here distantly. And I start to instant message them and try to see if I can connect with them. Stop it. Stop it. Fornication. Quit it. Because what your God is, is the flesh. I'll prove that in a moment. You hanging in there? You all doing okay? I am not done yet. We got a little bit more to go. So what belongs to another man, his, his home, his farm, his, 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 uh, his tractors or his motorcycles or his boats or his whatever he's got, that belongs to him, not you. You say, well, you just shouldn't have those things. Well, why don't you? Is there something wrong with the tractor? Tell all the farmers, thou shalt not buy a new tractor. Is it wrong to have an RV? Well, we should shut down Elkhart, Indiana. Wicked RVs. Is it sinful to have a motorcycle? I got vertigo. I'd have one already. I can't, I'm afraid I would kill myself on one of those things. So I'm looking at those Can-Ams though. Three-wheelers, maybe I can ride one of them, you know. It's like, Ecclesiastes is talking about, you'll work with your hands, enjoy the things that you've done with your hands, you'll work for them. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. For some reason, we think if you have things, you covet. That, then Job was in deep sin. Abraham was in deep sin. Uh, David was in deep sin. And Solomon was deep sin. The women that ministered to Jesus were in deep sin. All of those that were in the church that Paul talked to and said, those who are rich, make sure you're not too high-minded. Make sure you distribute to the necessity of other people. Who said it's wrong to have stuff? We think they're in idolatry because they own something. Listen, you work hard. There's nothing wrong with being able to buy something that you're going to enjoy. Is it your God? Well, if so, everybody that ever bought a, a car, a new car, you're in deep sin. You committed idolatry. 
because you went out and bought a new car. How dare you buy a new car? Well, also, I've only bought used cars, but they were new to me. Am I in deep sin because I bought a vehicle? Where is that in the Bible? Or you bought another house? Or you bought... For some reason, we think if I buy something that's expensive, that I worship it. And nowhere in the scriptures is that. Matter of fact, here he says this guy already owns the oxen. He already owns everything. It's you aren't supposed to want what he has or she has. See, it's the heart. It's what's going on inside here. America, you know, good night. We are in a crossroads like I have never seen. I'm, I'm 58 years old. You know, and I know that I, as some of you, you know, who've experienced incredible uh, poverties being raised up. Um, we got Chloe. Uh, she didn't make it today. You know, she's 96 going on 97 years old. Can you imagine the, the hardships that she saw as a child working up through? Um, and for us, it is hard for us to even understand hardship because if you don't have a job in Elkhart, either you can't do a drug test or you, you're illegal. Something's going on. You're not working. You're lazy. Or there are those that physically can't. I'm not picking on that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I deserve everybody giving me and I don't have to work for a living. You're, you're lazy. You know, so. So, yeah, so we work. We work hard so that we can have, we can take care of our kids. We can get them shoes when they need them. We, you know, we can get them the things that they need. And you say, I pay $80 for the kids' sneakers. And, you know, this guy goes, I, I go to Goodwill, and this is where I get the kids' sneakers. Good. You both needed sneakers, you go and buy them. Because he paid more than you doesn't mean he's worshiping sneakers. Because he bought expensive shoes. Ah. So, anyways. But here, the caution is not those who own it. The coveting is not by those who worked hard and possess it. The caution is those that see it and then they want it. In First King 21, King Ahab was consumed with a vineyard. The vineyard belonged to Naboth. This is the king. Wanted Naboth's vineyard. In this whole text, it's powerful to see how he says, I wanted it. I'll pay you money for it. I'll give you another one. I want yours. Yours must be better than everybody else's in the kingdom. I want yours. And he's like, No, isn't it a family? It's staying here. I'm not selling this thing. So this guy goes home and he's pouting and blue. It's like, Oh, this is where we want. Sell me his. Vineyard. Jezebel, the wife, comes in and says, what's wrong, honey? Oh, don't you worry about it. I'll give you that. Sound like parent with kids because they take a tantrum? Where's idolatry? I got to have it because everybody else does. Where do we have that? It's a sinful nature, folks. If they, our kids, they said, if they bawled for anything, we looked and said, now you're not going to get it. Well, we were mean parents. So, so he balls, he's, she says, I'm going to make you happy. And that's in the text. I'm going to make you happy and we're going to take care of it. Honey, you just sit there. I got it all covered. So she goes out and says, I want you to make a proclamation that Naboth has gone against God and he's gone against the king. Take him out and kill him. And they did. They took him out and killed him. Okay, honey, you can take over the vineyard now. You know, have, have anybody in your way. Boy, isn't that American idolatry? If I want it, I will do anything to achieve it. And I don't care who I cut out of the way. I don't care who I deceive. I don't care. I'm going up the corporate ladder. I'm going to own. I'm going to buy. And I'm going to sign the check someday. If that's the ambition, then things are an idol to you. And that's American Idolatry is coveting, to cut out, to take away. And they're happy to deceive, lie, and if they even have to murder, they will do it. The king of Israel committed idolatry because he coveted. 
He was miserable and unhappy without it. Are you miserable and unhappy without it? Are you miserable and unhappy without that thing that's out there that you want to get that belongs to somebody else or something you can't afford to get and it's now in the dealership and it's not yours and you just have to have it? If you are there, then that has become your idol. It takes me about a year, year and a half to buy a vehicle. The second vehicle I bought, my mom thought I was so happy I ran out of the dealership. This little, it literally was as big as this area here, you know, little desk and everything. So I bought this Vega. And uh, when, I bought, but when I bought this thing, I literally went out back of it and I threw my guts out. And then I got in the car and got, went home. My mom said, oh, you were so happy to get in your car. And I'm white as, a, as could be. I, it made me nauseous to think, i got to paint it now. It did. I literally was sick because of all of this that was, was, was happening to me. And, you know, but I could afford it and everything. It wasn't that. I was paying mom and dad back. As a matter of fact, they put the money out for me to be able to get it. And I was making installments to them and everything. And I could easily make the payments and everything. But it's amazing how, how we think that I can't be happy without it. God says to have food and to have rain in America... If you have your needs met, we are to be there with contentment is the opposite of coveting. It's the opposite. I don't need it. If I get it, we get it. I told the church about a month ago, you know, about we're going to get a new sign. Graciously, somebody's willing to take care of it. So we approved it. Lord willing, we'll go forward and get it. And I told people, I said, listen, if we get it, praise the Lord. If we don't get it, praise the Lord. I don't I can care. It's a sign. It's just a sign out there to say this is Northside Baptist Church and this is when Passion Play is going to be and everything like that. It's a sign. That's all that it is. It's going to help us be able to promote our church in, in ministry. It's a sign. But there are certain... I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But there are certain churches that it is all about the stuff and the things to make them look good. David took away... What belonged to Uriah, the Hittite. He took away his wife because he lusted after her beauty. He, David, deceived, lied, and murdered this man. And after he was dead, Joab comes up and says, the whole battlefront, they're all gone. He's, oh, well, people die in battle. One person dies. You know, you know it's crooked when those who are in leadership say, oh, so who cares? They died. People die in war. How callous did David become with his idolatry? After Uriah dies, he takes her to be wife to cover her pregnancy by him. And he thinks all is well. Until God steps in with Nathan and says, you are the wicked sinner that took the lone, beautiful little sheep that belonged to this man, Uriah, his only wife. And you got the kingdom. You have everything, but it's not enough. Idolatry is when we're not content with what we already have. We always have to have more. It's the greed and it's the take. It'll do anything it takes for me to get it. And sadly, this is American idolatry. We are known for our sensuality and our stuff. That's what we're known for by our arts. It's, it's in our music. It's in the pornography industry. It's all about the sex, sex, sex. And it is all about self-gratification for now. And it's not enough to just to have one. It's got to be multiple partners that the, the sodomy is known for, especially amongst the men. To have a hundred partners in one year is not uncommon. Because if, if they love this one, you would think they would stay with this one. But that's not what sodomy is about. They want it new, and they want it now. And that's American idolatry. I want it now, and I want something fresh. And new stimulate me because they become bored 
Why do you think the Sodomites were trying to go after the two angels that were in Sodom and Gomorrah? Fresh, new people to rape. This is idolatry. This is American idolatry. Greed and envy of what others own is idolatry. They worked hard for it. They saved to buy it. Let them enjoy their possessions. When Christians gossip about what another owns and criticizes them, they are showing their heart that they are envious and they're coveting what belongs to another. There is greed in religion. Jesus rebuked it in the temple, making religion about money. Preachers begging and guilting people out of their money so that the leadership can have more, more to glory about. This question, I'd like to puke the amount of times I've had preachers ask me this question. How many people do you run? That's the most covetous question the leader can ask one another. Who cares how many people are in your church? Whether five or fifty or five thousand, what's that have to do with anything? Where two and three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. I will fellowship with you. Small groups, Bible study, discipleship, God's presence is there. Yeah, we have the government of the church and the organization. I, I, I get all of that. And, and that's definitely necessary in, in it all. But I'm going to tell you right now, some of the greatest preaching that I ever heard in all of my life was done by simple country preachers in the mountains and hills of Pennsylvania. That these guys knew the word. And they can care if you liked it or not. You're going to hear the truth. And there was so much Bible related to their messages, I couldn't write notes fast enough. And that it was moving. The Spirit of God, the power of God was on their lives. And you could see the changed hearts inside of their people. And they didn't get a dollar more for it. Sadly, religion is known for its money, and sadly, it's known for its greed, and the world is right without evaluation. Preachers want more so that it will reflect on their wisdom and their expertise and how they're doing it. And now I can, because I build it up, I can write a book and I can have some more. How selfish of us to utilize what God can do for personal gain. More money to build their empires. God forgive the church for its idolatry. In America, we believe in the God of pleasure and convenience. I'm going to repeat that. In America, American idolatry, we believe in the God of pleasure and convenience. We believe in the God of reputation and ego. We look down our noses at others that do not have what we do. We want everything now and new. Something that no one else has in order to cause others to be desirous of us. In America, we believe in the God of convenience. Men and women, both many times, choosing alongside to abort a baby, a child, that is made in the very image of God in order to have ease and money. The reasoning is, well, it's just a bad time to have a baby now. We can't really afford to have a baby right now. My career is really taking off. I just don't have time for a baby. A baby would hurt, hinder this teenager. and would even embarrass them. And even the parents too. So let's have the baby destroyed and killed. It'll go for some good science project. It's cheaper than having a baby. We don't have the work and we don't have all the drama that goes along with it. So they decide... To, delete, to lie themselves and deceive themselves and to kill a little baby that's made in the very image of God. And then the doctors come in on it. The doctors who worship the God of money through abortion. Let's get the numbers, boys. We need money. We need more money. So let's kill more babies. That's how we make our living. They lie to the women 
And then they murder the unborn child. We're in an age where we believe in the God of convenience. And if it inconveniences me, I am more important than anything else. And therefore, they have made themselves a God. I was in India years ago. Pastor Reddy thought American culture was Christian. He was deceived. I started talking to him about what America has been doing and the millions and millions of babies that have been aborted. And you could just see his face change. And this is the first thing he said, and I will never forget it. He said, well, here in India, a mother would give their life for the child because they love the baby instead of it being the other way around. We love ourselves. And it doesn't matter if it is a baby. It doesn't matter if it's twins. It doesn't matter if it's a boy or girl. There's no heart. And when, when America destroys innocence, that's idolatry. We as Christians must be careful that we do not engage with this idolatrous mindset. I have no passion or uh, uh, thinking, oh, you did the right thing if any of the above things that I have mentioned are done, if I were to do it. When we look at Christianity and our accomplishments and what we do, sadly, like Satan when he went through, I shall be like most God, high God. I, I, I. He had that I problem. And as one person said this week, it's interesting that we have iTunes, iPads, I, 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 everything. iPhones, I, I, I is our mindset. And this is permeating the church that it becomes more like American Idol. We're here to sing, to show everybody our talents and what I can do. And if we are doing it for that reason, sorry. You get the glory now, but not in heaven. It's become a performance, and it's so sad. That's why I love corporate singing the most, the older I get. We boast of ourselves. We boast of what we can do. And yet at Christians, as Christians... What truly do I have to boast in in my own accomplishments if the gifts are from God? I have nothing to boast in my salvation. I have nothing to boast in what I can do for God because it is the gift that God has given to me through the person of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit that abides inside of me. Therefore, when I stand before God, I will give to him any crowns that he would give to me because he is worthy. And I will say it to my Savior's face, Jesus, you are the worthy lamb I receive and, and really deserve absolutely nothing. To be a God was the temptation Satan gave to Eve. It is still the same. Man wants the glory that belongs to God alone. May God forgive America for what it's become. And may we as a church believe that all come from God. And that God is on the throne. And there are no other gods before him. And he is the only one that we can say, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth, including us, keep silence before him. Father, we come to you and I pray that this is translated well for your people and those who might listen to this message down the road. And God, may it take us as Christians into a right direction. That we will always love the lost it's not their fault. They've been deceived by Satan. They need to hear the message of you and Jesus Christ. But they are in idolatry, Lord, and you said that they will be given account for that if they don't repent. God, I cannot right now thank you enough for saving me from idolatry. 
And I pray that there may be some listening to this message or even here that have realized their life has been that of idolatry. And they want to repent from that and turn to Jesus Christ. Believe in you alone. And Lord, the second part of this invitation, that we as Christians would stop and think about the idols that may be in our life, the things that we're greedy over, the sensual things, the, the things that appeal to the flesh, the things that we want that are, are in possession of somebody else, and we're, we just can't get our minds off of it. It's greed, 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 got to have, and we're not happy without it. God, forgive us for coveting. Help us not to be envious of those that have. Help us, Lord, to understand your word. And I pray that you're going to take care of this invitation. With heads by and eyes closed, my friend, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I can't tell you how much I love you. And I can't tell you how much more God loves you. And he wants to save you from yourself, who you are, what you believe in, and give you eternal life. Invite him in right now. Just say, God, I, in your sight, I know I'm a sinner. And that's why you sent Jesus to die for me. Come into my heart and save me from my sin. If you prayed that and invite Christ in, we really, really rejoice with you. And let me know after the service is over. Let's stand together.